Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. Today's episode is brought to you by our listeners and supporters of our Buy Me A Coffee page. Thank you to all who support the show by giving our show a listen, leaving a review or comment, following us on our Twitter, or sharing the show with your friends and family. If you want to support the show even further, check out our BMAC page for more information. Link will be in the description. Hello, and welcome to Into the Night, a Finance of Freddy's podcast. I'm your host, Nick, and I hope you've all had a wonderful holiday weekend. Ladies and gentlemen, boys and girls, it is that time of year again. The time of year when we all shudder in anticipation and our minds bounces wall to wall with ideas of what could be. Yes, the latest book in the Finance of Freddy's franchise, Somnophobia, has been released. This is the third book in the Tales of the Pizza Packs collection, a successor of sorts to the Fazbear Fright book series. Having read each of the novellas within, Somnophobia, Pressure, and Clythophobia, I would like to share my thoughts and theories about each one. Like our previous episode discussing the Tales book, this will be a spoiler-free discussion and more casual than the other episodes. Even then, I would recommend that everyone who listens to pick the books up yourself and give them a read. The Tales books have genuinely been a fascinating journey so far, and markedly much more high quality than some of the later stories we received through the Fazbear Fright series. Before we get into it, though, I do want to update everyone on the status of the Security Breach episodes. They are still currently in the works right now. However, with this third Tales book coming out, followed by the recently released fourth book that released this week, the plan is to get these episodes discussing the book series out of the way so we can start the new year with a brand new series of episodes centered around Security Breach. We wish to stay updated on the progress of these episodes. We occasionally update on our Twitter, so be sure to follow us to stay up to date with any news. With updates out of the way, let's start getting into the novellas, shall we? Once again, it'll be a bit more of a casual episode. So this is just going to be my general thoughts and discussions on the topic. So, starting with Somnophobia, the titular story. A quick rundown of this story. It effectively is what you would call a almost a drug allegory story. Or I guess you could say an addiction allegory story. I guess it doesn't have to pertain to drugs in a sense. Uh, the story involves something known as a dream sphere. Effectively, a group of teenagers, a group of high schoolers, go to the Pizzaplex and pool all their tickets to get what's called a moondrop dream sphere. It's a device that takes information from your subconscious and brings it more clearly into view by slipping you into a hypnotic state in order to focus better. Now, I am gonna be completely honest. I have no idea who's buying this other than students. It's, it's very specific. And to be fair, 
uh, how uh, this group of teenagers use it, uh, it makes sense for why a teenager would, be, would want it. It basically allows them to read a book or a section of their book and basically turn the thing on and then they basically get visions of what they read that their subconscious remembers and it brings it to the forefront of their brain, allowing them to recall it much more accurately. Now, why I mentioned drug in the first place was because how they describe the visuals of being in the hypnotic trance of the dream sphere and the sort of emotions and changes of their perception is very, very hallucinogenic. But the characters don't want to move at all because the air around them feels sluggish and heavy and dense. The visions they get from the dream sphere are very, very uh, commonly used tropes seen on like acid trips from TV or movies. Like they all go down to the ocean because one of them is studying aquatic uh, life. They see fish by them and they can taste and see salt water and they can see sharks, dolphins. It's very, very obvious of what the allegory is trying to accomplish. I didn't know exactly where it was going with the story uh, until we got to know more of the main character, Sam. Now, this is where I thought they made a genius move because at first I thought we were just going to do a simple addiction allegory story, you know, the dangers of addictions, which there's nothing wrong with that. There's nothing wrong with those type of stories. In fact, I like the idea of the Tales books having these sort of grim fairy tale like moral lessons in them. The first couple of Fazbear Frights books, like the Into the Pit novellas, uh, they all had like a be careful what you wish for type uh, message in each of them. So I have no problem with Tales books getting inspiration from that. In fact, I encourage it. But this is where I thought the allegory combined itself very well to basically people who suffer through this, uh, through addiction in their lives. So the main character, Sam, he basically lost his father at a young age. He lost him in a motorcycle accident. And because he misses his father so much, he is basically always on his mind. When he decides to get on the dream sphere longer than he should be, early on the story sets up that the dream sphere can only be used for 10 minutes at a time. The characters actually have to set an alarm on their watch to remind them to get out of the trance, otherwise their body cannot tell how long time has passed. He sets it for a little bit later, and when he sets it later, he starts getting visions of playing with his father while he was young. And once he gets this memory, he is rushed with memories and euphoria of seeing his father again. It's an otherworldly experience for him. And this is where the addiction plotline comes into play. This is when Sam begins to continuously keep using this device over and over and over again, and then keeping the device on longer and longer and longer so he can just relive those good moments more and more and more and get more out of them. Once again, the allegory isn't too off the cuff, but I think it's the combination of addiction and grief that makes me really appreciate the writing of this story. Because what effectively is the addiction of Sam is an addiction of living in the past. It's an addiction of he's so focused on looking back in the past, he's so focused 
on looking through that rearview mirror of life that he can't move on. And it's for a lot of people, I think that will resonate because I think a lot of people struggling struggle with, you know, moving on from the past. And so some of that is just dealing with the consequence of your actions. But if you've ever lost family or if you've ever gone through rough periods of your life, I mean, those can be just a nightmare to think about. An outlet of any kind is a blessing just to not pay attention to the past. I mean, that sort of is how addiction starts. I mean, no one who is happy basically will ever succumb to addiction. You succumb to it because you want to escape something. And it doesn't have to be drug-related. I mean, there would be no difference in this addiction plotline if it was similar to having a video game addiction or even something that we as a society as a whole uh, propagate and uh, celebrate like reading tons of books you can become addicted to books and not experience what life has to offer because you're so busy trying to live in this other world in between the pages that you don't experience what life has outside you just become contained with yourself and limiting yourself like that is doing yourself a disservice but I mean does it beat the alternative of constantly remembering how life is to be because Sam also has other problems in his life such as dealing with his collection of teenage friends one of which is kind of a bully and you know he's very uncomfortable with uh, like talking with girls it takes the addiction plot line seriously for the most part. I'm not going to get into it because I don't want to spoil it for people, but there is a paranormal element at the very end of the story. And when that moment happened, I was absolutely riveted. I was so mad when they brought that plot point into it. I'm once again, I can't spoil it, but the rest of the story had been so straightforward. I thought I thought we were going to get basically another B7. B7 being the previous final story in the second Tales of the Piece of Plex book, Haps. B7, I thought, was fantastic because even though it didn't have any lore whatsoever to the story, it was a great addition to just the world because it was just such a fascinating tale, a fascinating set of characters, and what was most terrifying was that it was so real. There was no paranormal, there was no supernatural, there wasn't even any sci-fi elements thrown into it. It was just a straight story of a delusional disorder played straight throughout. And that's what made it horrifying because it was so real. Sonophobia, I thought, was going down that same route with addiction. There's a great scene in the story where he looks at himself in the mirror after having used the dream sphere numerous times, I think about almost a week at this point. And he notices his image is not one that he, he finds appealing. He has dark rings around his eye. He noticeably has loosed weight. And he can't remember maybe like the last time he showered, I think. All of which are sort of kind of stereotypical uh, afflictions of someone who is very noticeably doing drugs or having some form of addiction. And the fact they add a supernatural element to the end of it or the biggest one that seems to be a supernatural element, I think takes away from the message as well as the journey the character goes on. 
how much of it, it, it kind of brings the question how much of it was this was an addiction to constantly, you know, getting that high of reliving the past, making your reality into something that could have been but isn't. You wish it was, but it can't. But it doesn't go down that route. Um, and I kind of don't appreciate that too much. It was still a good story overall. Uh, and overall, I'd say I'd give the story, if uh, I'm going to give it a rating, I'd say I'd give it an 8 out of 10. It was a good read. I didn't put it down ever. Uh, it was pretty good. It's just that ending. I didn't really appreciate it. And there's some some weird dialogue. Some weird dialogue between some characters. But for the most part, great story. All right. Up next is Pressure. Uh, as someone who does not particularly find his high school life very fondly, man, do I relate to Pressure. Uh, so Pressure, once again, another, uh, uh, not an allegory story, but more of a lesson of uh, beware of social pressure, because that is pretty much the whole story. It is uh, a story of, once again, high schoolers going into the Pizza Flex, except they go into, and this is, I mean, they are really trying to push it as hard as they can. They go into something called the Urban Legend Role Players Auditorium, where basically someone dresses up as one of the robots of the past to hunt people in a reimagined and rebuilt pizzeria location from the past. They are going all out and trying to sell this illusion. And it is kind of interesting because early on in the story, the main character, Luca, we do get, uh, once again, more insight to how, how the public views Fast Entertainment. And we do see that some people do recall or remember or even call out Phasma Entertainment for basically making light of their previous atrocities. Uh, but overall, Luca believes that the video game and roleplay scenarios were created by Phasma Entertainment to reenact the rumors associated with the company and dissuade the public from believing in them. We even get a William Apton name drop. He even name drops the fact that he knows William Apton uh, was the one who killed the kids. And... The story of Pressure involves our main character Luca and his three friends that go with him, who basically are three of the worst people I have ever met in my life. We have a new friend who uh, is currently dating your crush, you have your crush who doesn't love you at all, and you have your friend who pretends to be your best friend but really could not care less about you. So I mean, that's just the trifecta of the best people you would ever want to be associated with. So basically what ends up happening is that they choose the Springtrap FNAF 3 story. Luca gets to be Springtrap. Now, I have no idea how this happened, but apparently they put a literal spring bonnie suit as a suit you could wear. I don't think this is the original one because that is, you know, destroyed. So I don't know if this is just a recreation, but why would they recreate it with spring locks inside? That, okay, just a, just a tangent topic. This part confused me. I, I get, I, I get Fazer Entertainment is negligent. I get that they will cut corners at any possible area. But this wasn't, this wasn't cutting corners. This was them legitimately saying, we need to have a spring trap suit. Okay, 
put the spring locks in. You mean the ones that we don't need for the suit? Yes. You got it, boss. What? What? <laughs> what? I don't get that at all. So yeah, other than the fact that the plot point doesn't really work out that well, and just knowing how that story goes down, you can already probably tell what's going to happen. But I won't spoil it for you because I do believe the ending is fantastic. It's Despite the fact that it is a bittersweet ending, the sweetness of it does sort of overpower the bitterness. It is a classic Fazbear Fright series ending where, you know, protagonists don't usually make it out, but how it ends is at the very least uplifting. I guess an uplifting would be the right word. Inspiring would probably be the more accurate term to use because I like the message of the story of warning against peer pressure of, you know, always following your moral compass. Don't follow an idea because you know people who follow it. Follow an idea because you believe in it. You know, make decisions because your moral compass is telling you it's the right decision. I think nowadays that's a very important lesson to have because every, with, you know, with social media happening and the craziness that is currently happening on Twitter right now, I kind of like that messaging in the story. Other than that, I mean, there wasn't exactly too much in terms of lore. I'd say if I'm ranking it compared to the other stories I've read in the Tales series, I'd say it ranks higher than Haps, but I think Haps is also pretty average. Not even average, actually. The more I look at that book and think about it in hindsight, it's kind of mediocre. It is really just one chase scene. That would probably last like four minutes in a video game, elongated to 65 pages of wasting my time. <laughs> okay, that was that was very cynical, but you 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 all understand what I mean here. It's I want some meat with my story. I would I would rather have a story, have fun with its concept like somnophobia, even if it does decisions that I don't like. I'd rather have it fun and do something memorable. And with the sort of theme it has, which is this is a secure breach style story, let's do some security breach stuff. We don't really get that. In fact, we have a weird aspect of like, I'm not gonna, once again, I don't wanna spoil anything, but we get like a William Acton knockoff character, just very briefly. And it's so freaking random. <laughs> it's so random. And I don't know if this is connecting to one of the emails that are calling Security Breach. There's an email that says, like, um, why'd you reopen? We all know what happened to those kids. So we may have thought that had a more dark implication than it meant because if this is what's referring to, hey, this isn't the worst-case scenario. This isn't MCI 2.0, but it's still not at, it's still lackluster in what I expect to have in these type of stories. So I'd probably give it a 7 out of 10 for that. Tonight's episode is sponsored by Marvel Strike Force. Marvel Strike Force is an incredible mobile game that lets you take command of your own team of your favorite Marvel superheroes and villains to take on interdimensional threats like Doctor Doom and Apocalypse in an action-packed turn-based squad tactic RPG extravaganza. 
embark on an extensive campaign, completing challenging missions as you fight your way through the expansive Marvel Universe, collect valuable loot, enhance the powers of your favorite characters, and level up to acquire new gear, unlock formidable attacks and abilities, and customize your characters with costumes inspired by the most infamous storylines. Did that get your attention? As we speak, Marvel Strike Force is celebrating its six-year anniversary. But here's the real kicker. New users signing up through our link and using the promo code MAXPOOL get an exclusive treat. You'll instantly add the Merc with the Mouth Deadpool to your roster, complete with character shards, an anniversary diamond orb, and gear. Also, please note that these sponsorships help support the production and the hours we put into creating content for you. So downloading this game, using the link in the description, and giving it a try would help out this podcast immensely. The game is free, and using the code MAXPOOL gets you a ton of free starting loot, so you got nothing but to gain for giving the game a try right now. Thank you once again to Marvel Strike Force for sponsoring this episode. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich, but you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun? Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet of fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba. And the final story, actually my favorite, Clythrophobia. This was an interesting one. So it's interesting because it starts out with the Pizzaplex open. We follow a bunch of 7th graders in the Pizzaplex, and they're looking at a map, and they see on the map, and they pass by, not only the Urban Legends Roleplay Auditorium that I was telling you guys about in uh, Pressure, but then they also pass Freeze Fortress from Haps, and then they pass the AR booth from Under Construction. And what was interesting about the Under Construction one is I could be wrong, but... And this was kind of morbid, but this was the first thing I thought, was when the AR booth, they passed by the AR booth, the teenagers mentioned that it, smoke was coming out of it, and, like, everyone was, like, like, like audience members were, like, looking on, like, oh, what's going on? But they mentioned, like, that piece of Plex staff, they look panic. <laughs> they look panic. And I thought to myself, I'm like, is this the opening to Under Construction, but from a different perspective? Like, during Under Construction, uh, the character had put an AR helmet on, and then AR helmet basically put them into a dreamlike coma where the world around them was basically dying. I won't say enough, I won't say much because I didn't never covered it and don't want to spoil anything for you, but it pretty was it's pretty much obvious the person went into a dreamlike coma because of how the story played out. So I love that they just added this moment in of when the incident happened. And just just there was smoke happening. Because only in Five Nights at Freddy's can just basically something be blowing up. And basically everyone's just like, oh, it's blowing up. Things are being damaged. Funny. And just all the employees just have the color drain from their eyes. And just panic course through their veins. It's, it's morbid, but it's kind of the dark humor that I appreciate on the series. I mean, this is a series known for its dark humor. I mean, this is the series where power is limited, but you can't turn your fan off. I mean, it's it's known for its dark humor, so I appreciate it being cropped up again here. I, ha- I had to mention it. But to the actual plot, the real reason why we have this introduction, other than that, which it might just be just for the joke alone, I'm not going to lie, 
one of the friends point out that there is actually another attraction listed, but on the map. It must have been moved during development. That removed attraction? Ballora's Fitness and Flex. Yes, there was a glam rock Ballora. That is fascinating. And it's fascinating because if I could do a quick tangent here, I'm starting to really hate, <laughs> I'm starting to really hate how you're handling the situation of robots in this new era of FNAF. This is personal, but if I was fast for entertainment and I happen to know the knowledge that not only did numerous atrocities and child murder happen on my property, but this franchise was also basically responsible for the construction and development of four engineering robots that were programmed to murder. We made murder robots. Why would this be the thing we bring up? Especially because it was already covered up so much to begin with. Like, I, I got the point of Springtrap. That, that's, that's an aspect of Fazbear of, of lore that you can't get around. People knew about Fazbear Fright. You can't get around that. So I get why you had to include that. And I get the inclusion of the MCI and all that follows it because that's them trying to make light of their atrocities so they can get ahead of people saying, like, why to reopen. They could say, oh, no, that's all slander. No one knows about this. Why are we bringing the murder robots back up? I, I don't I don't get that move. It, it kind of goes with why I didn't get the Glamrock Bonnie and as well as the Foxy attraction, an extension with that Insecure Breach as well. And this is a complete tangent of the episode, but when we first got those trailers and teaser images for the Glamrock animatronics back in, what was it, 2021? Uh, and we saw that clearly there was going to be no Foxy, no Bonnie. Maybe it was just me, but I in, I interpreted that as Fazbear Entertainment knew those two characters were their most controversial. There wasn't any controversial with Freddy or Chica specifically, but Foxy, I mean, he was always the out of repair, the, the, the uh, twitchy robot, the one that's, you know, has a sharp hook from its hand, the one that runs, you know, it probably had numerous accents with it. And then you also have Bonnie, who is the character that your serial killer that haunted your restaurant and also owned part of it, a war to kill children. So I, I assumed that the reason they got rid of them. Oh, and then on top of that, uh, going back to Foxy, that man's son also is heavily associated with that when he put his younger brother in the head of an animatronic and it bit down. So that, that was my interpretation, was they got rid of Bonnie and Foxy because of the controversy associated with them. Like, we'll have them in the games of the past to say, ha ha, these are the characters in the past, aren't they funny? But kind of like how Disney evolves its characters, they just slowly phased them out. They phased out their controversial characters, and they have these new brands making new ones, you know, they're much more family-friendly, you know? That's what I anticipated. But that's not the direction we ended up going. Instead, we still had a Glamrock Bonnie, for weird reasons. And Foxy is just mentioned, which also feels... just It just feels odd to me. Maybe I'm alone in this, but that kind of extends more to the Fontaine Animatronics as well. It's weird 
we bring this up. But I guess Fazbear Entertainment must be confident that they're not going to be called out on it, which, I mean, I admire the confidence, but I don't know. It it feels like a why take the risk moment, you know? Moving on to the actual story, let's let's cut my tangent nonsense to the side. The story basically cuts back to five months earlier after those group of teenagers mentioned the Blue Horse Fitness Flex. And we see a group of technicians uh, named Grady, Ronan, and Tate working on the construction of the Pizza Flex. And we actually get, it's actually kind of cool to get this uh, description of what the Pizza Flex looked like while it was under construction because they go through the main, uh, not the lobby, but the main auditorium where that massive stage of the holograms are and where you can access uh, Monte Gall, Fazer Blast, Roxy Raceway, all that. So it's interesting to see it like under construction and see like there's where all the attractions were. It can get a general, and they do a good job of getting a general idea of how the layout worked. Uh, and what we see that these technicians are doing is that they're basically testing all the attractions before they open up. And I think they said three weeks when this store uh, story happens. However, our main character, Grady, decides to test Blower's fitness and flex alone while the other two engineers decide to leave the day. And when that happened, I was like, oh, okay, great, <laughs> great. I can see where this is going. It's not going to end well. You go to test Blower's fitness flex and gosh be darn, wouldn't you know it, he has clithrophobia. Now, if you don't know what clithrophobia is, clithrophobia is basically the fear of getting stuck in small places. Now. This was the most horrifying thing that any of these books, other than maybe B7, has thrown at me. Uh, this backstory for Grady is horrifying. <laughs> it is horrifying. His backstory and reason for having to fear small places was when he was, I think, five, maybe four. He had a babysitter bring her boyfriend over, and the boyfriend, because he was a jerk wanted to get rid of him so that they could make out in the parents' bedroom. I am not joking, this is the reason for all this. So, because he wanted to do that, instead of just, you know, locking him in his room or just turning the living room TV on so he's distracted, he opted for the stuff him in a dresser route and left them there for like eight hours. And the parents got home, saw what they did, and immediately find them, <laughs> immediately press charges. Uh, and he had to live with clitherphobia for years. And the reason why, I mean, it gives a reason for why he wants to test it specifically. It's because he wants to make sure no other kid has to deal with the same trauma that he has because what the attraction is. So. Where the attraction is located in the pizza place, they say it's located right next to Fazer Blast. Now, I don't, I, I, I haven't been able to look at the map recently, so I don't know if there is a shutter there that we missed, but I could be wrong. Uh, maybe it's already been blocked off by Fazer Entertainment, who knows. But the attraction itself is weird. So the attraction is a vertical attraction where uh, tenants must squeeze their way through increasingly narrow translucent tubes to reach the bottom as a form of exercise. And as they get closer and closer to the bottom, the narrower they get, and thus the more flexible you have to be. Now the purpose of Ballora 
is that she can get in the tube very smoothly and is supposed to be able to gently glide people who are stuck out. She is basically the safety apparatus, as well as the mascot of the attraction. She's basically filling a daycare tent role. I can't spoil it for you, but man, what happens is gruesome. And I will also say, now the one thing I will, I will mention that I kind of liked about the story is the story does do a few things that I didn't get enough of in Security Breach. And that may be just due to the limited cast, but Security Breach brought up a few questions, specifically with this advanced AI. So, Ballora in the book doesn't really have sophisticated AI. She has responses and she kind of has a personality, but it's kind of still robotic. You know, it's still very binary, her personality. And that's weird coming from the glam rock animatronics because they're more known to be much more personable. Uh, not so much as I'd say the fun times, but still very personable. Uh, I guess fun personal is not regular, so fun, more human. That should, that should be the way of saying they're more human. And it was weird to see a programming bug with Ballora. This isn't a spoiler because it happens early on, but it's just weird to see. Uh, but it was interesting to see, and this was in the mention, it was interesting to see uh, other Phasma Entertainment staff interacting with the robots. Because how Vanessa interacts with Glamrock Freddy in the game is very dismissive, and she talks down to him. And it's kind of odd. She doesn't talk to him. She talks to him kind of like a human, but still treats him like an appliance almost. So it's that kind of weird middle ground. And I like that we still got that here with basically Grady talking to Ballora. And oh, I should probably mention this Ballora is not the Ballora from Sister Location. Two completely different things. Even the bi type is different. I think it said that she kind of had like a spider-like bottom with like, because it's like, it was designed to allow her to get to the tubes much more easier, you know, like be able to grip the sides, you know, that sort of thing. But she still had like the torso. She's kind of like a, what's it called? Like an arachne, uh, a ra an arachne human hybrid, uh, which, you know, perfect, perfect for children. One last thing I will mention about the book that I will say that without spoiling anything, that I would say that I enjoyed was I really enjoyed with these three characters seeing Fazbear Entertainment from the perspective of the employees. We, for some reason, rarely get these stories. We never got them in Fazbear Frights. And we finally got one here, and it is fascinating, especially coming from the technician's point of view. I loved sort of like how the technicians rationalized the expenses and looked at things. It was very fascinating to see. I also loved how they basically they basically had kind of a nine to five workers attitude of it, which even though it's kind of cliche for, you know, people just clock and clock out of businesses that do evil shady stuff on the side, it's still fascinating to see that even see like these technicians who knew about the tragedies. But because Fast Entertainment, surprisingly, pays their technicians very well, like pays them, you can pay off a mortgage in a year very well, that they just see this as a job. 
don't know, kind of the rationale they have behind it and how they view fast entertainment as a whole is overall just an interesting mindset. I, I want, I don't want to see these characters again specifically, but I wouldn't mind seeing these type of stories again. But maybe, maybe something like when the Peace Plex is opened and seeing like uh, staff interact with uh, some of the animatronics. Because as we know from Security Breach, eventually all the human staff is basically be, going to be effectively, not completely, but effectively replaced with the staff robots. Uh, Fast Entertainment is going to completely roboticize and streamline the entirety of the Peace Plex. Uh, besides uh, their guards, which we'll get to in the next story. But that was... I've already read... Okay, spoiler I've already read the fourth book while I'm recording this. Uh, I'm recording on the Monday when it came out. I read it already, and I cannot wait to talk about that one. So I think this is a great place to wrap up. Thank you so much for listening. On our next episode, we will be discussing the fourth Tales book, and that episode will be coming out very soon, so we can start off the new year with the Security Breach episodes. I'd like to thank you all once again for listening, and if you'd like to stay up to date, please consider subscribing, following, or sharing the podcast. It really helps us broaden our reach. And consider following us on our Twitter, at Fastbird Podcast, or supporting us on our Buy Me a Coffee page. Once again, I've been your host, Nick, and thank you for listening. Have a good night. Say goodbye to your credit card rewards. Greedy corporate mega stores, led by Walmart and Target are pushing for a law in Congress to take away your hard-earned cash back and travel points to line their pockets. The Durbin Marshall credit card bill would enact harmful credit card routing mandates that would end credit card rewards as we know it. If you love your credit card rewards, tell your lawmakers, hands off my rewards. Tell them to oppose the Durbin Marshall credit card bill. Everybody in your crew identifies as either Big Mac Burger, McNuggets, or McCrispy Sandwich. But you're the filet fish Sandwich all day. That crispy fish, that savory tartar sauce, that melty cheese, that pillowy bun. Yeah, you get it. Every time. And if you love the filet fish right now you can catch two of the classics you love for just $6. Limited time only. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer. Single item at regular price. Ba-da-ba-ba-ba.